Ahoy listeners, another episode of Escape from Plan A for you. Tonight, it's me, Chris, with Liza. Liza, good evening. Hello. All right, Eliza, this is your favorite time of the year, isn't it? Oscar time. Okay, it's like, it's like, it um, should be my favorite time of year, but they are just taking all the enjoyment out of it year after year. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even excited anymore. Oh, like, no. I'm excited because it's the Oscars and I just can't help it. And also because this is a good crop of movies, except for one. <laughs> I guess we'll talk about that. Although, yeah. to be to be perfectly honest, you've watched way more of that crop than I have. I've only seen maybe only two. I don't know. But before we go on, what won last year? Was last year Dakota year? Or was it um, Nomadland last year? No, last year was Coda, I think. Oh, yeah. That was a real dud think, of a year, right? I think it was Coda. It's got to be. I'm pretty sure Coda so. was after Nomadland. Yeah, I think so. But I, but yeah, last year was it's just like it was the, the past couple. Well, last year the big thing was Chris Rock getting slapped by Will Smith. Yeah, that's the only thing anyone remembers. Apparently, the new Chris Rock special on Netflix dropped. So a friend of mine. So now there's the Will and Jada discourse going on about how again, again, and how it's like. It's weird because like she's the one who cheated, right? So normally, um, didn't they both cheat? I mean, wasn't he like a philanderer for years, and then she dropped it on her on her show, her Apple show? She was like, "Well, I cheated too," and then he started crying, and that's where that meme comes from. <laughs> I, I they had a infamously open marriage, but also Will Smith's image was very asexual. Um, even when he was at the top of his game, you would say yeah. like late nineties to you know early to mid two thousands. Yeah, they they went through a lot of um, pains to make him as squeaky clean as possible. Like in his music, you know, he was like a rapper and he didn't even oh, yeah, curse sure. on his records. Yeah, so Will Smith, for all we know, he was you know he's a very attractive man. He was like at one point the most uh, biggest movie star in the world. I, I, if he wanted to, I'm sure he could just cheat all he wanted, but I can't even picture Will Smith fucking. Like, you haven't even seen that in a movie, at least none of the movies I've seen. Uh, so I think the... Yeah, you're right. Is there a Will Smith sex scene? I've never seen it. Like, there was a movie What about in which, Six Degrees of Separation when he plays the gay kid? Right, but they might have been a gay scene, right? That's like the... That's but you like don't even see thing. anything because all you see is, like, they're running and then, like... Mm, okay. I don't know. Yeah. So... Yeah, they had an open marriage, but you never really heard about Will fucking around. And then <laughs> it was like this big news that Jada Pinkett Smith cheated on this guy. What's his name? Augusta P- uh, Alpina or Espina, who was apparently uh, not just like 20 years younger. Like, I mean, who cares? Especially like since she's a woman. We, we all know like the age gap stuff. Like it's, it's kind of different when it's a woman. But but yeah. it was also apparently like her friend's, I'm uh, not her friend, our son's best friend or something, which that's the <laughs> thing that really makes it weird. And and then and she made it a whole thing like she had that show. I I think it's actually not even worse. Not even an Apple show. It's a Facebook show, Red Table Talk. And then she brought Will Smith on and interviewed him about how he felt about her cheating and, and whatever. It's a it's a I the I don't cry, know enough about this. The, the famous crying meme. Yeah. So, so I, I I forgot how he even got onto that. Oh yeah, that was last year's Oscars. This year's Oscars actually has looks like a decent stable of movies. Two of which we really want to get into. In this episode, one being Tar, uh, directed by Todd Field, starring Kate Blanchett. And the other one is probably going to be the Best Picture winner, unfortunately. I, I do think so. Because, um, 
you know, the BAFTAs just happened and All Quiet on the Western Front apparently won all the awards. I'm but, fine you know, with that. I like I liked All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Um, I, I, I should. Like it seems book, like I like the original movie. I like the remake. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a very good movie, but I, I'm guessing that was a British movie, All Quiet. I thought it was German. Or, or regardless. Um, it's definitely not American, but the Oscars are a very American award show. Yeah, and all signs. It's Hollywood. Uh, yeah, all signs point to them giving it to everything everywhere all at once and then so we'll, we'll talk about what that means because uh conveniently enough um just last week i pitched a article to current affairs who published me last year because you know when i saw these two movies i thought you know they're not exactly fighting each other but i think they stand for very opposite propositions on what art is meant to be because one of the reasons why people love everything everywhere all at once it's not just because they like the movie in and of itself but they think it has the the right message and not only that but the actors and uh to a lesser extent the directors because we don't really hear much about the directors uh but the actors themselves embody the kind of positive life-affirming uh diverse that's unusual that we don't hear about the directors in this yeah. film i, I kind of want to get into that because like they don't really direct it but they also wrote it and i think there's a very specific reason they're being kind of kept under the wraps i i even think they're doing it on purpose but we'll get into that later i mean the directors themselves are keeping themselves out of the limelight uh for a reason uh so so like the movie as a it, both the contents of the actual work itself and the ones who create worked at creating it embody the kind of message that the people who love this movie want to see in society it's like art as uh, the for the betterment of society whereas tar doesn't necessarily say no, um, that's wrong, but I think what Tar is saying is it's irrelevant. It would be nice, perhaps, if like a Lydia Tar in the movie could be a very good person, but if she's not, doesn't really matter uh, in in the production of her art or whatever. So that, that that's the kind of um, thing about my piece. And when I saw these movies, that's what I thought. So. All right, let, let's get into it. Why don't we Why don't we start off with Tar? Because I think I mean people have already read probably a lot about everything everywhere all at once. It's by far the more popular movie. I mean, it's more meant to be a crowd pleaser. Uh, so I think people, I can't believe it's a crowd pleaser. I can I can easily see why it's a crowd pleaser. I mean, we disagree on the message, but I mean, it's so it's so flattering. I mean, we can get into that when we actually talk about the movie. It's so flattering to its audience. That's why people love it. But let's talk about Tar. I think it's it's a little less discussed, even though it's been praised across the board uh liza what do you think when you saw tar so tar if it were up to me it would be a best picture race between tar banshees of inisherin and the fablelands like tar mm-hmm. is just i don't even know like if it were up to me also it would just be kate blanchett for best actress oh yeah i think on pure merit it's a no-brainer i mean i, I get it michelle yo uh, is a very good actress, but she is not better than Kate Blanchett as Lydia that, Tarr. I'm like sorry, movie. no, no woman is better this year than Kate Blanchett in this movie. Mm-hmm. And and the director Todd Field hasn't done anything in like 15 years, right? So this is like this movie. Um, I think that it's brilliant. I think that the two best movies that are artist studies and about art this year are Tarr and The Fablemans. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is just, like I said, it's, it's brilliant. Um, there is like, even the writing, like there is, um, there is no exposition in this movie except for the opening scene and that's it. 
everything else in the writing is just, it's brought through Kate's performance and the supporting performance and then other supporting performances and then the way that the director frames everything. So mm-hmm. you've got this woman called Lydia Tarr and I'll spoil it here. She gets canceled because of some controversial behavior on her part. And it's very oh, specific allegations that she uh, uh, like sexually preyed upon young women in her, like she had a program where she, uh, abuse of power. Yeah. Yeah. She, she gets into relationships favors. with them. She grants favors to people, young women that she favors, yeah. especially if, if she likes them, you know, yeah, like, if, likes, them, they, likes them, likes <laughs> them. Right, right. And if they displease her, she kind of blackballs them from the industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we know nothing about her background or her true identity, even her real name. It's not like part of the criteria in which we're supposed to judge her, which I think is it's all by design because the whole thing about the movie is should we separate art from the artist? And it's mm-hmm. like one of the most controversial topics ever. No one can ever answer it. Mm-hmm. And this movie seems to um, ask the question, but not really answer it either. So there's a famous Juilliard scene, um, probably towards the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the scene itself, uh, they're probably going to, they probably are going to use it as the Oscar clip because it's the most famous scene, scene in the movie. It's a, it's a 10 and a half minute monologue from Kate Blanchett and, she basically just tears into one of her students in her master class, someone who identifies himself as BIPOC, pangender, like whatever, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And he's just so narrow minded that she, she finds it so unbelievable. She even says, don't be so eager to be offended. And it's because he, he says like as a musician and an aspiring conductor, he has no use for like, as his words, cisgender white male conductors or composers specifically Bach in that scene specifically Bach yeah and she rightfully tears into him saying that his entire worldview his views on art like everything is just so social media informed and it's all identity politics and it's like does that even matter And then she turns it around on him where she says, what if we were to judge you by your same criteria? Wouldn't you hope that it's the music that stands out? Or do you really want people to judge you for being like BIPOC and pangender? What does that have to do with your music? Yeah, I thought she implies that he he, uh, mentions a composer that he really admires. I think she's Icelandic or something. Uh, like Anna something daughter whatever I thought she implied that he only likes her because she's an attractive woman um, mm-hmm. it, it, um, anyway so yeah she's spinning out if, if it can happen to Bach it can happen to you that, that's essentially her argument and it, he storms out saying like you're a bitch or, or something like that mm-hmm. and yes that is that is yeah that's probably the most famous scene in the movie yeah and you know with regard to cancel culture i really like that this movie doesn't have any flashbacks there's no clarification about what really happened outside of the movie so just like when a real life public figure gets canceled we as the audience are forced to judge these people 
based on the same lack of information, you know, mm-hmm. we have no idea what really happened. I mean, obviously we see that she does abuse her power in some ways. And I don't think that the movie even questions like, should she be held accountable for her behavior? Like it's pretty obvious that yes, we are meant to believe that she should be held accountable because she does have um, a giant ego. And even in the opening scene, when she's being interviewed on stage, she even says it about herself. Like she can stop time when she's conducting. Mm-hmm. Like she thinks very highly of herself and she demands that we do too. Mm-hmm. But so since this is like considered the cancel culture movie, like the culture that we're in right now demands that we automatically side with the victim without even allowing the other side to tell their version of the story. And I think everyone knows now that things are much more complicated than we're always led to believe. We still ever know all the details. We're not working with accurate, objectively verifiable information. And Time and time again, we find out that the victims, I'm using that air quotes, like victims, are wrong or they're exaggerating or they're misreading because there are lots of people that have been accused of abuse and they have been found to be completely in the clear. Do you think Lydia is innocent? Not totally. Mm-hmm. I do think that the woman in question who is her accuser, I think that Krista, Krista Taylor, I, mm-hmm. I think that she definitely pursued Lydia. Oh yeah. We definitely like, remember in the beginning after she gives uh, her interview, she mm-hmm. gets essentially hit on by that woman with an, with an engagement ring on too. So she's, this is a oh, woman. Wait, who- wait, 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 there was an engagement ring. If you look, yeah, if you, she's when, you know, say the woman with the red bag in the, after the opening scene, she's wearing an engagement ring. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. So this is, um, this is a woman, Lydia is a woman who is used to being pursued by younger women all the time. Even her own assistant, I think was probably at one time a lover of hers. Oh yeah, for sure. I I thought, uh, especially on the second my second viewing there's Mm -hmm. like her Krista and Francesca definitely had like a thing going on oh yeah definitely and and Francesca Mm -hmm. I mean it especially hits her because I think when Krista commits suicide she's probably thinking that could have been me in a way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh but yeah so yeah the the woman after the the speech comes on to her and I think that's the uncomfortable reality that if you are a Lydia Tarr or or anybody of high status and power you will have people coming on to you. And I think I, I think for sure Lydia Tarr is, is guilty as hell. Like the way she behaves throughout the movie. I mean, I don't know if you read the Richard Brody uh, review for The New Yorker that I sent you, but he had a big problem with the movie. And he was his whole thing is, well, the movie takes her side and it never lets us know what really happened. It doesn't really totally happened. take her side. Well, yeah, yeah. But I think the reason he thinks it takes her side is that we never see – what actually happened. We don't see the victim going like, no, no, or, or her. You, he you wants know, clarification. Yeah. yeah. He wants, he wants it more black and white, but I think if you, if any average intelligence or even maybe even below average intelligence person, just like how Lydia deletes all those emails goes into like Francesca's computer. Like that is not the behavior of an innocent person. The reason she doesn't promote Francesca to assistant conductor is because she wouldn't delete the emails from her computer. That was it. Um, I think that 
put the nail in the coffin, but I, I thought the real reason was that it would make her look bad because if she fired uh, that old guy and installed her protege, whom a lot of people were already whispering behind her back, she already had like a sexual thing with, it would make her look bad. So I thought that was a sign of how ruthlessly uh, selfish she could be. She essentially just um, cuts off Francesca because it would be sort of an inconvenience to her own career. But definitely, yeah, her Francesca showing signs of unreliability when it comes to Christo was definitely like if she was on the edge that was like pushed her off yeah but um yeah so so going back to the the scene about the the cancel culture thing yeah people who claim that cancel culture doesn't exist they never consider how the broader consequences of these accusations they do end up pushing people out of industries especially the creative ones and their work as an artist is even more scrutinized and and not always in the right way, possibly even just lost, not to mention their personal lives can sometimes end up in complete shambles, even if they're found to be innocent later on. Mm -hmm. But I think those people would say, well, so be it because, because there's a, so, okay. In the cancel culture scene, I thought it was really curious. The first time I saw it where Max, who's, who's the, like the woke guy, the, the pan gender BIPOC guy says, in the Juilliard scene? Yeah, mm-hmm. she says he doesn't bother to listen to Bach because he said Bach lived a patriarchal lifestyle. And because he sired like all those kids. To- like, yeah, because he said he had like 20 kids. So I'm like, okay. I mean, it's one thing to say, I don't know, um, Beethoven was a misogynist because he, he was rude to women or, or he, he beat them or something. I don't think Beethoven was ever married. I, I have no idea what his love life was like. But, uh, you know, it, it's not even that. It's like he just had 20 kids. So I looked up. Bach, I know Bach famously was married to like multiple women, but I think none of these kids were out of wedlock. He didn't even cheat on his uh, wives. Um, it was simply that he had 20 kids. He just kids, so... had a lot of... <laughs> right. So it's like, why is that... Like, why is that cancel worthy in his mind? And I have a friend, she's a violist actually, and she is a big admirer of Bach. So when I was writing my piece, I actually uh, called her up and asked, is this a real issue in you know, among music students. She said, nah, the movie was kind of, and she, she loves Tar, she loves Tar. But she was saying that that allegation she never heard before. Like Bach is such a foundational figure in music that she said, uh, not even the most woke student would dare go after Bach like that. But I think what the movie was trying to do was set the seeds, uh, like plant the seeds for a later key discussion between uh, Lydia and Francesca. They're driving in the car and they have a um, discussion about Alma Mahler, who was the wife uh, or ex-wife of Gustav Mahler. And Francesca says something about how Alma Mahler was, uh, had a promising musical career of her own, but then uh, Gustav wanted her to dedicate her life to his musical career. So kind of uh, put the kibosh on that. And I mean, and then Lydia says something like, well, Alma knew the rules when, when she signed up to, to be with him. Uh, but I think that's the, that's, when you talked about you know cancel culture freezing out, uh, how we're having a chilling effect on certain types of potential artists, I think the people who are much in favor of cancel culture would say, "Well, that's just payback for all the alma maulers." And Bach had a wife like Anna Magdalena Bach or something who was a singer. I have no idea what her musical potential was, but she most of her musical contributions was transcribing his work. So some people would think. Hey, you know what? Maybe in a more gender equal society, she would have become uh, 
a revered musical figure in her own right. Maybe. Um, I mean, I don't right. know. It's, I mean, she's up against Bach. <laughs> so I think that's that's what the the like the the kernel of of that thing is and in and if you said to them well you know cancel culture is scaring off all these people i think those people have very little sympathy for that and they'd be like well you know our demographic or our side have been scared off for centuries so it's not like nanny nanny boo boo it's your time it's your turn now to be scared off which i think is a very i mean obviously you know revenge is a very understandable primal impulse but it's a very bad um convincing type of argument Uh, the fact that they are addressing this cancel culture issue in such a prestigious oscar bait movie is interesting to me yeah and not only that but this movie is almost uh, richard brody aside universally uh critically acclaimed you had you didn't have people saying well you know th- this is uh, right-wing propaganda or or anything like that and i think it is a testament because it's to so how obviously not i think that the fact that it takes place in the classical music community i mean it's such a niche community <laughs> right but i think and- it's also a testament to how balanced the movie is yeah, in yeah. that you you could come away thinking a lot of things, like even the ending, which if you want to talk about, like so the, yeah, let's the talk ending about is it. we already spelled everything right. So the ending is pretty famous. So Lydia Tar, uh, uh, Eliza, you you confirmed it's the Philippines based on the language they're speaking. They're speaking Tagalog. It's the Philippines. okay, all right. Because yeah. some people like reviewers are like some unnamed Southeast Asian country. And when I first, oh my god, it's well, Tagalog. when I'm speaking Tagalog. So right. she okay in in the train scene where she's like I guess. She's en route to her destination. They're speaking Thai. But when she gets to her country of destination, finally, they're speaking Tagalog. And they present her with, like, they even say that, like, when they're taking the tour and they talk about the river, uh, the alligators in the river from the Marlon Brando uh-huh. movie, it's Apocalypse Now, which was filmed in the Philippines. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So the ending is she she pretty much yeah gets canceled from her prestigious uh, stage on, in the classical music world, uh, specifically the Berlin Philharmonic, and then her agency even tells her to lay low for a while. So then you see her just go back home, which I read was somewhere in Staten Island. Staten Island, yeah. Um, and it's and then, such a cold, cold interaction with her brother, who she apparently right. hasn't seen in years. Yeah, it, it's very obvious that she kind of grew up probably in like a lower middle class family, the mm-hmm. kind that, you know, thinks classical music is gay or something. And she even changed <laughs> her name. Her name was Linda. We don't even know if her Tar is her real last name, but we do know that Lydia is not her uh, first name. I pressed pause on the diploma on her wall and it oh, says yeah? Linda Tar. Oh, okay. All right. But so it's spelled T A R R with no accent. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. So. So she is the type who wants to run away from her background. Looks, uh, I'm sure, looks down on her family, which is why her brother uh, doesn't particularly seem pleased to see her. And the next thing you see, you know, she, I mean, she's like watching these old tapes of Leonard Bernstein, and then she's off to this uh, Asian country. And in the end, you, you, she has this new gig, and she it's scores, obvious she scores video games. Monster Hunter, apparently. That's the yeah. apparently that's that's the specific game. Yeah. And the movie ends like that. And a lot it's, like, it's open interpretation because uh, some people say this is the humiliating downfall of Lydia Tarr because she goes from 
conducting Mahler's Fifth to the soundtrack to Monster Hunter. Other people say, actually, it's her finally being free of the the pretensions of being like an EGOT winner, mm-hmm. you know, the the brouhaha of, of being uh, who she is and going back to the basics of music, which is just who cares what people think? Just do what... Because the, the Leonard Bernstein um, video she watched, I think in it, he says something like, uh, you know, like music is... It's supposed to make you happy. And she's playing this music in front of people who are obviously overjoyed to be there. They're dressed up like their favorite characters or whatever. Yeah, they're cosplayers. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no indication that she is unhappy. I'm mm-hmm. sure she'd rather be in Berlin rather than um, Manila or wherever she's in. I'm but sure that she, she would se- like to be in contact with her daughter. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but she, she definitely is- lost a lot there. Oh yeah, she. But she's approaching this job just like she would approach any other that she's had in their past. So it could also be viewed as a happy ending. So I, I think that ambiguity means that a lot of people can see what they want to see. Like either they can see the comeuppance of a despicable figure who needs to be expunged from the artistic world, or somebody, or like, hey, this is the spirit of an artist. Like. You know whether you're up or you're down, you just gotta do what you gotta do because that's that's why you're an artist. Yeah, I thought that um, going back a little bit, I thought that when she finally goes back to her house in Staten Island and her family, and we see how she really grew up and what her name really is, I thought that just shows her dedication to how much she doesn't believe that a musician's or an artist's true identity matters when judging their art i mean she completely reinvented herself so obviously her identity doesn't matter or one could say that it does that's why she reinvented herself i don't know yeah i mean in that speech or or like that monologue she gives to max in the juilliard scene she says yeah in when you're a conductor you have to completely basically prostrate yourself before the composer and it's it's not about you it's not about what you want to do, uh, I mean, to a, to a degree, but you are interpreting somebody else's work. Yeah. And that's like one of, like, it's even in the trailer. I think it even, um, it's like the first line. I, I didn't I watch the trailer. the trailer. I actually had no idea what this movie was about. I've been doing that a lot this year, going into movies totally blind. And it's working out. Like, I have no idea what the plot <laughs> is. I only know, um, like, what the title is and who's in it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been serving me really well. I'm enjoying movies even more. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk a bit about Kate Blanchett because she she's just so good in this movie. Like I I think about this movie and how I mean I compare it to a movie like Everything Over Everywhere All At Once, which I'll t- you know we'll talk about plenty at length later. But that movie when I was watching, I remember like getting really you know I, I'm somebody who enjoys. I'm not somebody who gets bored easily at movies and stuff, but. I thought everything ever all at once. I think it's about two and a half hours. Was too long. I'm like, okay, we get it. Uh, multiverse I, I this, multiverse that. that. It took me. Um, I think I had to watch it like three times in order to finish everything <laughs> everywhere all at once. I just could not finish it. I was so bored. Yeah. Tar is also two hours and forty minutes, and I was not bored. In fact, if it went to three, I would have been fine. No, oh, me too. I was like. Three I love, hours. I just every time Kate Blanchett was on screen, I just wanted more. I just right. I loved watching her. 
three hours mostly of the intra-orchestral politics of the Berlin yeah. Philharmonic. Yeah. <laughs> and it's riveting. And even, okay, let, let's go with that opening scene. I was just having a lunch with a group of friends, one of them, a very good friend of mine. Uh, I don't know if she wants to be named, so I'll just, uh, I'll just keep her anonymous. But she didn't like the movie. And mm-hmm. I could, and it was like, because she hated that first scene. She's like, it's, you know, it, it's pretentious. And, uh, and you know, she's somebody who, who loves movies that other people would call pretentious. So she's not just somebody who's like, oh, give me some razzle-dazzle, uh, boom-bam <laughs> kind of thing. You. I'm going to watch Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she thought the uh, opening scene where you got the New Yorker guy um, interviewing her was unbearable and, and just smug and, and stuff like that. Whereas I, when I was watching it, I, you, like you, I didn't have a ton of idea what it was about. I, I knew it was about classical music. I knew it was like vaguely about like kind of like sexual impropriety and stuff like that. But I'm, I didn't I'm even just know watching, that. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just watching this interview. And I'm just like, I'm completely mesmerized by, yeah. and I like classical music granted, but even then, like all these names are dropping about famous conductors and stuff. I don't know who these people are, except for like Leonard Bernstein, who everybody knows. Uh, yeah. But, but <laughs> That opening scene was just, I think if you're hooked by that scene, you are, you're going to love this movie. And if you hate it, then like, it's kind of like the rest of the movie is kind of the same. Well, it's, it's, it's I mean, that's very all movies, stuff. right? They, the opening scene is kind of important and sets the whole tone. And this, <laughs> yeah, the opening scene is, um, I, so many of Kate Blanchett's monologues are difficult and long. And they sound very natural coming out of her. Like, I think all the conversations in this movie sound natural. They do sound um, super, like, eggheady. But I think that that's how people in these circles, I think that's how they talk. Yeah, they're, it's a very select, like, weird circle, you know. To, I to studied piano when I was younger at Peabody Conservatory. Mm. And those people really are, like... They're very, they're very brainy. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're nerdy. They know that they're niche. Um, they're eggheads. Mm-hmm. There's a specific scene I want to talk about. You know when she finds out her uh, daughter Petra is being mm-hmm. bullied, yeah. so then she goes and essentially threatens the little girl, mm-hmm. like Johanna, uh, who's her daughter's bully. Mm-hmm. When I first saw that in my first viewing, I thought it was hilarious because. Have you ever seen Friday Night Lights, the TV yeah, show? Yeah. Okay. Remember that? I think oh, it was no, in season. Not the TV show, just the movie. Oh, okay. Well, for listeners, if you if you've seen a TV show, one of my favorite parts of a TV show is when Tim Riggins, he has like a a thing with his uh, hot milf neighbor who has a little boy, and he finds out that the little boy is being bullied. So Tim Riggins, in very Tim Riggins fashion, just goes up straight up to the little kid and he he says to him like you bully this kid uh, next time I'll punch a hole in your uh, chest or something like that. And it is a very funny. So when I saw that scene at first, that's what it reminded me of. And you know, everyone in the audience was laughing because she's just threatening this little girl. And the second time I it sounds watched so it, much more harsh in German too. Oh, that too. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, you know, impugn German, but it sounds like very Nazi. Like, you know, you watch a lot of Nazi movies and it sounds like something a Nazi would say to like a, like a victim. Uh, but the second time I watched it, there's a line she says where something like, and you like you can tell anyone, but no one will believe you because I'm the adult, you know. And you and you get this, and it's frightening because you're like, okay, th- she's what she said to the little girl. I'm sure she said to Krista and and all the other Kristas in her life, where she's like, if they ever you know crossed her 
you know, did, didn't do what she wanted. She'd be like, okay, you know, go, go tell people, but I'm Lydia Tar. I have all the connections. No one will believe you. I'll just say that you're, you're like crazy and clingy, whatever. <laughs> so the second time I saw that, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is like a very frightening person. Um, it's not that, I mean, this is funny because she's like bullying a little girl, <laughs> but it's also such a good, uh, like, you know, Richard Brody's complaining about, we don't see what happened with Krista. Like, you see that scene and you're like, okay, I can see what happened to Krista. Like, it, does, it doesn't take a genius to, to make that leap, you know, so. All right, let's do everything everywhere all at once because that's what our audience is probably waiting for. All right, okay. So we're about, we're about at the halfway mark of, of the hour. Great point to transition. Okay, so everything everywhere all at once. I saw it probably like a little less than a year ago when it came out. Uh, and you know what? I actually didn't, I don't, didn't, and I don't dislike the movie for itself. I say, I'll give it credit. I'm not trying to be a hater. First 45 minutes, I think is actually quite well done. It sets up some very interesting um, storylines, especially with kind of a working class immigrant family and what they're going through. And, you know, something like taxes, which you would, which normally would be boring, but they actually make it somewhat interesting. Give it full credit for that. Uh, I, I think it loses its, just kind of like it's artistic merit when it gets into this very like preachy feel good nonsense about it's about kindness you know you know wayman has this like we have to be kind speech and it's like this is just horse shit um but yeah my- i mean his whole you have to be nice doesn't match it's just not it's juvenile. It's, it's it's not as moving as the you should be a nice person speech in Banshees of Inisherin. I haven't seen that movie, but I will take your word for it. Colin Farrell has a you're not a nice person and you should be. I'm a nice person. Mm. He has that. He has a little speech like that in Banshees. And um, that one was much more effective. Yeah, I'm with I, your I, friend on this one when... So in the in Tar, when your when your friend said that in the opening scene, she just right then and there, she was not sold. That's mm-hmm. how I was with this movie. I mm-hmm. in the opening scene, I was already annoyed and unimpressed, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, another two and a half hours to go." Wait, what what about the opening scene? Because okay, let, let's let's scene. In case, I mean, uh, guessing if you a lot of people have seen this movie, but well, what's exactly happening? In the the introduction scene. of Stephanie Sue's character. Uh, well, because the opening scene I think is with Evelyn, which is a Michelle Yeoh character, right? and she's uh, going through her tax returns. When and... they introduce the daughter, okay. is when the movie loses me. I see. And why is that? I don't like her. <laughs> okay, why is that? <laughs> she's. I guess she's. She must. She must represent a certain kind of Asian American that I don't like. She must. I- I think she basically is well the thing is she's so broadly sketched. She reminds me of all the professional victims that I just don't like. Right. And I and I think I think she's purposely characterized without many specifics. Because okay, like from what I gather, and I watched this movie twice and I took notes the second time. What we learn about her, obviously she's a lesbian or or you know, bisexual, but I, I think she's probably a lesbian. She is a college dropout. We we get we hear that a reference at one point. Um, her mom often calls her fat. Um, she 
just from the looks of her, uh, I don't think she was like a pretty good student or was pushed academically, athletically, artistically. I don't think Evelyn just doesn't seem like that kind of mom. She seems more neglectful rather than like a stage mom or or that kind of helicopter parent. Helicopter, yeah. Um. Besides, oh, she has a tattoo. Um. Besides that, I, I I don't know what else she's about, and the whole movie hinges on you ide- you identifying with her. And, and thinking, and if Evelyn, you can't identify with her, you're lost. Right, right. And I think the reason why so many people love this movie she, is because, she saw, she seemed like the kind of person that would like defend Velma. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think the reason she was so broadly drawn without specifically was specifically to appeal to the target audience, which is probably going to be at, at the base second generation or more Asian Americans. And anybody who kind of has a problem with their parents, uh, because I don't like those kinds of Asians. Well, exactly. You're right. And the movie is saying, um, your, your your mom was pretty much wrong about everything, and you're right. And I'm not the one saying this. Vox wrote an article. Uh, it was all about this thing they dubbed. Um, is it the Walter Shaw article? Is oh it no, that one? We'll, we'll we'll get to that. Which later. one did we read? <laughs> Uh, no, this is the Vox one uh, written by Emily St. John, where she said that there's a whole slate of movies that have come out in the in recent years. Oh, she dubbed it one. the, the yeah. Millennial Parent Apology Fantasy, which is all about <laughs> turning red and, and turning red. Um, another Disney animated movie. I forget which one, like Mitchell and the Machines. She also uh, put it in there. Lady Bird. She also put it under there. But it's it's all about kind of like how the kids were right all along um generally speaking um ladybird came to that conclusion in the end i think ladybird was definitely more nuanced than um what is it uh everything everywhere all at once but when i saw ladybird i was like because the whole thing is about how she wants to go to nyu and and put her family in debt it's like (laughs) nyu's not worth that just go to uc davis god damn it and uh, i and (laughs) yeah so but I think the movie is obviously meant to for all the people who dream of going to New York City, you know, did, like how dare my parents prevent me from living my truth and my dream of living in New York City? How, how I saw dare them, my just, parents like, get in the way of me accumulating two hundred fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt to go yeah, to New York in, City? Like theater arts or something like that. You know, all <laughs> all my love to the theater, but come on, like that's don't don't indebt yourself to to do that. Um, but where was I? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh yeah, the the Steph, the Joy character is, I think, meant very easily for the audience to identify with. And I watched the movie the first time, and I came across, and I felt stronger the second time. Evelyn was in the right. Like, what did she do wrong? She is, she has to put up with a failing business, a father who once disowned her, who who at some point must have somewhat reconciled with her, but still kind of being a pain. A husband that she kind of partially, at least partially, blames for her crappy life right now, and then her daughter who is desperate for approval. Okay, what exactly has she done wrong? And and there's a part uh, in the in the beginning where she says, you know, you're very lucky to have a mother who not only approves of you having a girlfriend, um, like you know, you basically you being a lesbian, yeah, no but also shit. having a, a white girlfriend. And some people might be like, like that is basically bigotry but no it's not it's it's like, a lot to ask for most parents i'm sorry but yeah. let's let's be real here and especially oh. asian immigrant parents it doesn't make them bigoted okay also, it's a lot to ask of any parent 
not only that, but a lot of parents, even like the whitest, most American parents, will probably disapprove of your straight boyfriend or girlfriend. This is not a unique thing <laughs> yeah, that happens true. to just queer <laughs> uh, people of color. Like the default position of any parent is probably to disapprove of your romantic partner. This is not intergenerational trauma. And that's where the movie is very weak. She really I, wants her 95-year-old grandfather, like she wants to introduce her white girlfriend as her girlfriend. Yeah. And it's like, it's who, like, God, uh, who cares what he like thinks? 95 years old? God, leave him alone. Yeah. Who cares what he thinks? Like, it'd be one thing if that grandpa was trying to set you up with somebody like like a boy that you have no interest in because you, you're you're a lesbian. That'd be one thing, but he's just minding his own business, and you're the one trying to. And I think that's a very millennial thing. In that, I think older generations it's so would have selfish. Well, older generations would have just been like, "Okay, fuck you, mom and dad. I'm hitting the road, living my own life." That would have. That's like the archetypal teenage runaway, or not? Well, she's not teenage, uh, but you know, young person runaway story. Whereas the millennial story is. No, I'm going to stick around even if you don't want me and I'm going to make you apologize to me and I'm going to like convert you to my way of thing because it's like that helicopter parenting thing goes both ways. Like a parent is obsessed with the child. The child is also obsessed with the parent. It cannot break away. So I thought that was very telling. Um, all right. So, yeah. So I think that's the, the fundamental problem with the movie. It's too easy. And I, I'm not going to say that I don't have problems with my parents. I totally get why, uh, you know, the, the Daniels. And I, I'm guessing that Daniel Kwan, was, who's the, the Asian Daniel of, of the, the Daniels, I mean, he's also Chinese-American. I'm guessing that a lot of his personal experiences went into this. And I'm not going to say that I don't see if he had problems with his own parents. I don't. It's, it's not like I don't see where he's coming from. I have what, my these, own. what have these guys made before this movie? Swiss Army... I don't say Swiss Army Romance, but I think that's a Dashboard Confessional album. Um, it's that so, Daniel... like what? The Turn Down for What video? That, I think that's where they got started. And, so and, from uh, there to the Oscars? Well, then they made that movie with Daniel Radcliffe, Swiss something. I um, didn't see it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking up right now, so... Uh, let's Who see. are these guys? Like the, Swiss like, Army Man. Everyone yeah. says, like, the Daniels. Like, we're so familiar with them. And I'm like, I've never heard of them before. Yeah, so they made Swiss Army Man. I remember it kind of making noise. Uh, it came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. And they might have made something in between, but that was, I think, their other most famous movie. And, you know, what? Are they good more for them. like music video guys? Oh, that's where they started. Okay. That turned out for what movie? Oh, no, uh, oh, music that video. A, that was a so, you know, I, I get where anybody who identifies with this movie and has issues with their parents are coming from. But even as somebody who can sympathize with that, I still do not want to see. Uh, a work of supposed art that is so uh, flattering to me. It's like, this is not challenging at all. This is just telling me I'm right about everything and, and mom needs to apologize to me. I mean, these are, I don't think it's not flattering. The people mm-hmm. who love this movie, like Walter Shaw, these are the people who make it so embarrassing to be Asian. It's not our immigrant parents or like fobs. Yeah, it's like, right, it's so... these people. It's these people that hate their parents. They're embarrassed about Asian culture. They're the ones who talk about how backwards we all are. Yeah, I don't oh, like yeah. these people. Yeah, that's another thing I had with the movie. I don't movie, like so... their art. I don't like their movies. I don't like the people that like this movie. <laughs> I don't like what it says about them. I, I want to like not think about it. Whenever I hear like an Asian person likes everything everywhere all at once, I don't want to like judge them just thinking like, oh, are you one of those Asians? Mm. Are you a Stephanie Sue? Are you a Joy? 
there's a there's a scene where it towards the end where okay so you know the movie is heavily funneling you into believing evelyn is a terrible mother and then the way she gets somewhat redeemed is she go turns around and tells her father played by james hong like i will not do to you know my daughter what you did to me so she's saying okay i may be bad but my dad was even worse to me that was a clear signal to the especially to the second generation, not even necessarily Asian American. I'm sure any kind of like second generation kid, whether they're white or black or Latino, basically saying the closer you are and closer you are to the, to like the, the ancestral culture and the older you are, bigger the problem you are so your parents yeah, this, it's, it's the this thing again where it's like if it's asian people who have problems with their parents it's generational trauma but it's like god why does it ha- why do we have to use that term for every single problem asians have yeah i'm so parents? sick of that term it's god. intergenerational trauma is like your your let's parents have calling, like yeah let's start calling home alone generational trauma god they did it <laughs> twice it was the it, it was the the epigenetics <laughs> of the Irish potato famine filtering down to the McAllisters. <laughs> I know everything has to like like Catherine all the, all the reviews, son. all the positive reviews I've read about this movie. There's like a history lesson in there somewhere. It's like, oh my god, mm. I know my history. I don't want to hear it. Just tell me about the movie. Oh, that why also, do you feel so seen? Yeah, yeah, that also um brings me to another point. You know, uh, so. Like I, I feel like the whole kind of like blue check, uh, by blue check media rep cry. I don't mean the the ones who are so obsessed with media. I, I mean more like you know the, the progressive Asian types, uh, the ones who, Joy. uh, I mean, well, well you know, whoever they are, I feel like they're very selective in what they care about media rep because when they see something that they don't like, like say you know you know they all they all hate Simu Liu, right? So when like Shang Chi comes in, it's like. You privileged uh, Asians and your media rep when there are more important things going on, like uh, world hunger and uh, leprosy uh, running amok in, in somewhere. But now they see a movie like this they like, and suddenly it becomes about everyone needs to go see this movie and 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 bond Fuck you with if their. You don't like it. You're right, right. And I don't like you don't like Simu Liu, but at least you're consistent. At least you don't like Shang Chi. You don't like this movie, and you're tired of media rep in general i can respect that because you're consistent but these people are not consistent they just they don't believe in media rep if it's promoting a person or ideology they don't like and if it does they're they suddenly are like okay movie tickets can bring world peace (laughs) yeah so there's that um you need to watch this movie to get to know me you need to watch this movie to understand me oh yeah actually let's let's talk about walter john (laughs) I hate that guy. Okay, I I I I know because I remember when I was young. I can see how he sees himself in joy. Right, and then I parents too. Yeah, and you know what? Like I I read his movie review, which was basically an seventy five percent of it was an autobiography about his problems with his parents. Look, I don't I don't necessarily know this guy's uh, life story. Like he seems to have had a rough relationship with his parents. I can totally respect that, you know, but. To to make this this movie this like very middling movie the the basis of you and and then he and then I only knew of that review because he went on this incredibly embarrassing tirade <laughs> on Twitter where he says something like read it like oh, okay I, I'll I'll pull it up so uh, fill in the next minute for me while I pull it up Liza 
So I was most offended um, by his review because he compared this movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which mm, is like yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time because it's like a good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the emotional highs and lows are much stronger there, much more effective. The writing is much better. Yeah, actually, that, that really brings me to, to another point. Thanks for reminding me. I, I saw this in the Asian American subreddit. Some people were, I think so. Okay, this is just such so like Asian American as in the subreddit thing to say. But you're saying, my dad didn't like everything everywhere all at once. This really bothers me. What can I do to convince him uh, otherwise? And, and a bunch of people were saying, oh, it's, it's probably too uh, edgy for him or it's too uh, like avant garde for him. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I and I think among Asian Americans, I think there is uh, either admittedly or not a realization that a lot God, of us here we go again. My parents don't get it; they don't like it. <laughs> I, I think there's an understanding among even the ones who are all pro media rep and love everything Asian American. A lot of our stuff, let's say, uh, are not the most serious in in having kind of artistic heft. A lot of it is, you know, addressing these people self-esteem can't even issues read and stuff. normal fiction. Like they read YA into their like 30s and 40s. Right, and and they know that you know YA is very like a lot of Asian American stuff is, is essentially YA. So they see something like everything everywhere at once. It has the A twenty four seal of approval. So like, ooh, this is like what the, what the cool white people like. And you know, the even yeah, it is about the multiverse, but you know, technically it's not a Marvel movie, so it's it's not like a MCU type of movie. And they want to believe this is like genuine Asian American art. And it's like it's, no, it's it's a feel good movie trying to be more. Than what it really is. That's what that's what it is in the end. Um, okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up this link. It's not cooperating. Just one sec. Go in the Discord. No, oh, go into sen- WhatsApp. Go into WhatsApp. Oh, is that where I sent it to you? Yeah, or you, you sent, sent it. it you sent it to what? You no, know, WhatsApp. Okay. Oh yeah, I see it. All right. Okay. Oh, this is this is a real this is a real um, I say very melodramatic tweet storm. I get all the white people not connecting with everything everywhere all at once on an emotional level. As I've increasingly found myself contemptuous of white people, it's been hard to give half a shit about the 98% of movies about their quotidian sads. Funny how dehumanization correlates with lack of empathy. That's the first tweet. Second tweet. It's it's very it's very dramatic over this movie. <laughs> it's like that scene in the Royal Tenenbaums when Royal laughs at his daughter Margot's play and says, didn't seem believable to me. What characters? They're just a bunch of little kids dressed in animal costumes. If you can't recognize a complex emotional life outside of your paradigm, you come off as a bit of an asshole. Anyway, I've said it before. It's fair game for you to... Um, and it goes on like this. And it's like, Why does he think it's only white people that don't like this movie? Well, that's the thing, right? He I'm wants willing to, to imagine... bet there's a lot of different kinds of people who don't like this movie. Right. Um, and... And the funniest thing is his own wife is white. Like, well, you like, I'm growing incredibly contemptuous of white people. Then why did you marry one? You know, it's like you signed up for it. She didn't trick you. She didn't. She she didn't have yellow face on and pulled off her mask after the wedding. Um, like it's it's his people. Like, and I, you know, as I said, I get it. I've read his review. It sounds like he's had, you know, very turbulent relationship with his parents. But it's it's so histrionic. It's very embarrassing. It's like just say this movie. Um brought me some level of comfort with my parents don't go on this thing about how much you can't stand white people especially if you're married to a to a white person 
This is just. And then he references the Royal Tenenbaums, one of the whitest movies of all time, which I also <laughs> find weird. <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah, it just brings out, and, it, and I, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that you know Michelle Yeoh is going to win Best Actress, and Kate. That Kui, angers me so much that Michelle Yeoh is going to win over Kate Blanchett. Oh yeah, uh, can you say it more? It bothers me. What? Uh, uh, can you say more? Why? Yeah, because when you watch them back to back, it's like, is Michelle Yeoh a good actress? Yes. Is Kate Blanchett a better actress, especially in this year, in the movies they starred in? Yes. Big yes. Is Michelle Yeoh better as an action star? Yes. Is this her best movie? No. I still prefer her Hong Kong movies. I don't like her American movies. Eliza, I also know that you were very angry when Michelle Yeoh was acting like she was a nobody before... She... Yeah, it's <laughs> she was a huge star in Hong Kong when she was doing martial arts movies. And it's like this just she acts like that doesn't matter. She acts like doing movies with Jackie Chan and Hiroyuki Sonata and Cynthia Rothrock. Like that doesn't matter at all. Her whole her whole contribution to like the Hong Kong action industry. It doesn't matter. This movie matters. Not only that, her, but... All of her speeches are have been so annoying and embarrassing. And if she wins next Sunday, expect the worst speech ever. Hmm. Everyone is so over this. Like, everyone is so over making giant political statements with their acceptance speeches. And yet Asian Americans are still acting like it's 2017. Everyone is so over the whole, like identity thing in movies and like media rep. I mean, tar tears all of that down. And yet Asian Americans still act like, like it's a thing, like anyone cares. They're so behind. It's so like, it's so embarrassing. It's, it's the embarrassment that I'm dreading. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but Michelle Yeoh uh, did experience quite a bit of crossover success. She was, uh, the co-star in Tomorrow Never Dies, albeit that was one of Hi, the crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Right, yeah, I, I was about Huge to get to that monster of a movie. Right, but you know she was a co-star in a James Bond movie, and then she was uh, also a co-star in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which a lot of people would say uh, was the best movie of that year. And I think if Hollywood were a bit more open to uh, non-American films, because that was a Gladiator one, I think uh, Gladiator. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of Gladiator. Oh, I love crouching that movie. Tiger. Oh yeah, well, yeah, but I think Crouching Tiger was definitely the better movie, but yeah, I agree and she that. definitely got a lot of um, like, a pra- you know, praise for that. I don't know if she's referring to the lack of roles uh, in Hollywood uh, since, in which case, okay, I I get it, but I I think she had a pretty good career in Asia all along, and just the way she says something about like, oh, I'm finally cool because of this movie, and it's just like you're Michelle Yeoh, you are. A legend. You should not be debasing yourself like that. And I think that is what debasing is the perfect term for this. Because have you seen uh, Ki Kui Han? Uh, or short? I'll just call him short round because I don't know how to pronounce his short name. Short round is easier. Yeah, short round speech at um, I think it was the Golden Globes when he won. Yeah, we talked about a- it. I like to speech though. See, he's I, I less was- cringe. He's less cringe than she is. 
I thought, I, I don't know, the speech I didn't like because he's like, you know, Steven Spielberg, like, thank you so much. Um, you give me everything. It's like, well, he didn't give you anything for the last, you know, 30, 40 years. But it, it, it's especially at a time when I, I know you really like the Fablemans. I, I trust you when you say it's a good movie. But, you know, the Fablemans is kind of like nobody cares. Right. Um, I don't I know think, about that. I think a lot of people that saw it really loved it. I, I think the people saw it, loved it, but I don't think a lot of people saw it. Um, I don't know the box office numbers precisely, but it doesn't seem like no, it's, it's not hitting. It's not doing numbers like Avatar or Top Gun, right? And definitely Steven Spielberg. I mean, I think Lincoln was the last time he made a movie that really people, like a lot of people, really like resonated with. But I, I like think ever since then, too. I'm a Spielberg uh, fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like a lot of Spielberg movies, but he's definitely. Past his this prime. is this is a movie that um, I would say the Fablemans is probably Spielberg's best movie in about fifteen years. Oh wow! Okay, I, I should give it a shot then. Uh, but regardless, um, it, it's it's kind of like why I didn't why I wasn't happy when Parasite won Best Picture. Not because I didn't love the movie; I loved the movie, but I thought it was okay. Hollywood desperately needs like a shot of adrenaline, you know, some kind of some kind of thing or Viagra, you know, it, it's like, it, it has like a, it has a medical problem and it's using Asians to prop itself up. And just like it did with Parasite to generate a little excitement, I, you know, it's almost certainly going to use everything everywhere at once. You're going to have short run go up there and talk about how, how much he grew up wanting to uh, be, um, uh, who would he have adored when, when he was growing up? Um, I don't know, like, Michael Douglas, I don't know. Uh, and it's going to be like, a Hollywood is, is the manufacturer of dreams and thank you for being a part, let us be a part of it. And Michelle Yeoh is going to give her sex speech about this is for all the little girls who look like me. You know, they finally love us. Um, so It's always so pathetic. It's so pathetic. You never see white people going up there and like Kate Blanchett's speech would actually be good. Well, Sally Field uh, gave that kind of speech and she's been mocked for like ever since giving that the speech. You right? like me? You really, yeah. really like me? But, but I then, know it was embarrassing. Right. But then uh, like every Asian American goes up there. Um, and they do it kind of, over and over and over again. Right. It's like they didn't read the room. They really just can't read the room. Yeah. And Hollywood's going to feel great about itself. And it's just like, again, it's like I don't have a problem with the movie itself. I think it's a it's a fine movie. I didn't particularly like it. Yeah, but that's where whatever. you and I are different. I have a problem with the movie <laughs> itself. I watched it twice and I... <laughs> I had I struggled to get through it the first time, and I struggled to get through it the second time. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe if they just got rid of the daughter completely, but then we still have to deal with the multiverse, which I don't like. So yeah, it, it's like the whole movie's premise. I'm not, I'm not impressed. It's not for me. Yeah. So there's a Fox um, article again. This is separate from the Millennial Parent Apology Fantasy article, but it was one where it was saying. You know, we love everything everywhere all at once. Here's why we think uh, we hope it wins every award. And you know, with a, you know, kind of like a, a liberal publication like Fox, it's, it's for the standard reasons. They think, oh, it's big hearted. It, it speaks to all the right marginalized groups, uh, etc. But one of the reasons they said was like, in this world where uh, the most prominent black rapper is a white supremacist. You know, obviously talking about Kanye. <laughs> Are they talking about or, Kanye? <laughs> or um, it was something about how Florida is banning teaching of like critical race theory, you know, uh-huh. alluding to Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. And, and a weird okay. thing about how AI generated ours is um, creating uh, big breasted uh, hot women. Uh, <laughs> apparently that's a, that's, a, that's a plague upon us right now. 
It's like the everything everywhere all at once, not only as movie as escapism, but it's a whole concept of the multiverse. I think, uh, you know, everyone, especially after Trump, I like to everyone saying, oh my God, this is the worst timeline. Uh, but, you know, if you believe in the multiverse, it really doesn't matter what your life is like because you know that there's an infinite number of timelines out there. And if and if you're a loser in this real in this timeline, in another lifetime, you're like emperor of the galaxy. So, and I think it particularly speaks to a whole generation of former, you know, gifted class type of students who whose lives inevitably turn out disappointing because their expectations were, were skewed in the first place. They're always... You know when people always complain about imposter syndrome? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like such an imposter. They never, they never consider that maybe that's because you are. Maybe you actually aren't <laughs> It's because that good. you're not good enough. And that never seems to be actually considered. Like, you know when a friend asks, like, do I look good in this outfit? The answer you're is supposed already pres- to say yeah, yes, the, oh, yeah, sometimes the yes, answer yeah. is no, it's, it's not working <laughs> right. for you. <laughs> but you're, n- you're not supposed to say it. You're always supposed to say yes. And that, that's the same with whenever uh, people on social media complain about imposter syndrome. The assumption is they're not right to feel it when I would guess a good chunk of the time it is warranted that you are <laughs> in over your head. You. <laughs> maybe not yet. Maybe you will be one day. But right now you're not at that level and that's fine. Um, but that query is... is meant to elicit reactions of oh no you're the best you're the best you know and and there's a there are parts in this movie where you know evelyn says to her dad like at last i'm i'm proud of myself and i thought that again speaks to that crowd where they feel like you know all their lives they've been told that they're going to do great things and they're merely uh you know just merely uh slightly upper middle class not Swear to God, it's like Asians are finally now discovering the self-esteem movement from the 80s. Right. Everyone is so over it. Always. (laughs) Like, we're like 20 years behind everyone all the time, especially when it comes to art. Let's do... um, Oscar predictions? Yeah, let's do Oscar predictions. Let's do... Uh, Granted, though, I... I've seen so few of these movies, but um, okay. I, I will I will go along with you, uh, if only to hear what you want to say. I, I want to make one well, last point. Have, if you haven't watched yeah. them, well, not yeah. anymore, then. Right. Uh, I want to make one last point, though, and, and this is something that I will address in my article um, when it comes out. I, th- I think one of the big, broader issues, you know, the whole obsession w- with like trying to cancel a Bach is that why would you want to cancel someone who's already dead, right? It's like, okay, it's one thing to cancel a Harvey Weinstein who's alive and actively doing yeah, harm. Yeah, it's like all these people that want to cancel like um, Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson. And it's like, what for? They're all, right, they're right. dead. They've been dead for years. All right. And, and I want to answer that question because I think I, I think I know what these people are trying to do. And it's precisely answered in tar if you if you kind of like read between the lines. Like, why do you want to cancel a Bach? Why are you critical of, of like Gustav Mahler? And I think it's because for if if you're not essentially like like a a white guy um if you're a woman or you're like an asian person or a black person and especially like let's say classical music classical music is obviously incredibly white and european but um i think in general i think it applies to history as well at least the history we often learn in america western civilization yeah right you don't when you when you see like great artists great historical figures great scientists great whatever they're, they're not people you identify with. And I mean, even that doesn't if, bother me, though. It is called, I mean, God, people right. are going to get so mad at me for this, but it is called his story. 
history. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to find some obscure historical figure or like, if I want to listen to classical music, go out of my way to find some like obscure woman composer. I I don't feel like it. I'm going to listen to what I like. Right, right. Well, but I think for some people, if they don't see themselves, um, they, I think, genuinely doubt that, because I think a lot of people can agree that if things were fair, let's say um, instead of like the Habsburgs running um, like, you know, Central Europe at that time, let's say there were like a bunch of Asians or whatever for some reason, I bet you would have a lot of like, uh, you know, Chinese Mozarts and, you know, Vietnamese Beethovens, you know, you would see that kind of stuff. I, I don't think anyone would really say, or, you know, uh, female versions of them too. I, I, some people might say, but I think a lot of people would say, you know what, it's just an accident of history that these all happen to be white dudes but that doesn't change the fact that they are all all white dudes and i think that really angers and and breaks the hearts of a a lot of people that not only do i have to look at all these great people and they're all people that are not me but god damn it the stuff they did is actually quite great like you cannot listen to Mahler's fifth and not concede you know what he may have been jerk to his wife but that guy could really write a symphony. And I think it's precisely that beauty and, and transcendence that gets them, which is why they got to cancel it. It's like, I can't even bear to hear it. It's like when somebody you hate does something great, that hurts you more than if they sucked. Because if they sucked, you could be, oh, well. I mean, that's... hating people that have been dead for more than 200 years is like, I'm sorry. It's like the people that really want to hate on like Rule Dahl. They want to rewrite his books. Well, but that, I think that's, that's again, um, the same thing symptom it's like Roald Dahl is I think most people probably agree he's an ingenious writer like his his the things he come came up with and all that is just quite very unique you know and that's precisely why he needs to be canceled like we don't even want to look at it because it's good and it reminds us that we are somewhat indebted to the people we're supposed to hate and I think that's what gets at them so I, I think that's why yeah, when it comes to art, it really it really bothers me that these are the things they get fixated on. As an yeah. as an art lover. Yeah. And I think that's why everything everyone all I want is their ideal type of art. It's like it tells me what I want to hear is made by people that that I can identify with and whose what they say and what their personal narratives are jive with mine. And 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 I mentioned earlier, I think there's a, there's a very specific reason. I think the Daniels, even though they're the writers and directors of this movie, the two people most responsible for supposedly how great this movie is, you barely hear from them. I think it's because they both know that this movie has become the vehicle of that kind of like representation matters, identity politics, uh, progressive crowd that two youngish white and asian dudes who came up in the in like Are rap videos straight? yes they're both straight uh, at least i know the asian guy's straight i know he's married um yeah I, i'm a, i'm assuming the the white daniel is also straight those two types of guys aren't don't have a lot of value in that narrative so i think they're very wise and very savvy and make because you read all the things you you would think like uh michelle Yeoh and stephanie sue wrote directed starred funded produced this movie and it's like no the they were they were actors, but you had a whole creative team of the Daniels behind it. But you read like these Vox articles; they never mentioned the Daniels. Um, not are even are they even nominated for best director? I'm pretty sure they are. I think they won the the DAGs or whatever the directors or screen mm-hmm. directors 
the guild or whatever. What an unfortunate name. No, I don't think it's a DAGs. That's the uh, Screen Actors Guild, Screen Directors Guild. So, is S- it DGA? Uh, SDG maybe. I'm not sure. Um, so um, they very much. Who's your prediction win. then for best director? Since they're barely campaigning for anything. Oh, oh man, who who are even the nominees? I I have no idea. Um, maybe in this case the the All Quiet on the Western Front person, whoever that is, because yeah. it's like. Maybe they won't give it to Daniel. I'm pretty sure All Quiet on the Western Front is going to be best adapted screenplay. Mm, you haven't seen yeah. it yet? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I don't know what its competition is, but that. Spielberg. Could... Spielberg for The Fable. Oh, The Fable Miss was a novel? Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about best director. Oh, I, th- I thought you were talking about adapted screenplay. I went back to it. Sorry. Oh, director. Uh, I don't think they'll give it to Spielberg. It's like. He's already gotten it like three times. He's already gotten a couple, right? And I don't he think this is. He got it for is... Lincoln. He got it for Schindler's List. He got it right, for right. Something so, else. Fable is, I, I think, I, I know you say it's good, but in terms of the prestige and fervor, it's it's very much at best a B movie of his. So, if they didn't give it to him for Saving Private Ryan, I don't think they'll give it to him for the Fableman. So, my bet is probably the All Quiet on the Western Front, whoever directed it. Kind of a because I don't think they'll give it Best Picture, but since it won the BAFTAs, and maybe they're like, okay, this is a film worthy of of um honoring they'll probably give it that all right well then uh best actor uh who's up for it uh, let me no, see. nobody i mean um okay so between brendan fraser and colin Farrell. oh they're not gonna give it to him because they're gonna call fat phobic if they give it to him right so <laughs> oh my god He's not uh, even fat anymore. He was only fat for the movie, right? Well, that's the whole problem that he's uh, he wasn't fat enough. <laughs> like he, I mean, he's not a thin guy, but I mean, that's the controversy. The whale right? sucked. I'm sorry, I hate that movie. Okay, yeah, it also didn't seem like it was a particularly good movie anyway. I don't like Aronofsky movies. He's not for me. Yeah, I say Colin Farrell then. He's I been want, around that's for a while. I want. I want Colin Farrell to win. Yeah, I've I mean, he's been around for a long time. That he's done this year. I liked Thirteen Lives, the story about the t- the Thai cave rescue. I oh, liked that, came that out? one. It came out over the summer. Oh, they yeah. they made it. Okay, it's on Prime. I liked it. Yeah, um, um, it's got uh, Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and uh, Jason Clark. Oh, that's a really good cast. Um, yeah, and it's directed by Ron Howard. So uh, okay. very commercial, very sentimental. Right, that's what he's good but- at. Uh, I mean, Banshees I has gotten great reviews, and he's been around for a while. He's had his ups and downs. Remember when Colin Farrell was supposed to be like the next Tom Cruise, but he kept he was doing in a bunch of like action movies, and yeah. he was a pretty boy. Uh, yeah, he kept on like he kept doing he just kept getting caught with like all these starlets, and then like doing all this coke and like partying too much. Yeah. It's I just very, remember him always getting drunk and getting into fights. Um, but no, like you have to say, I think that the only the only affair that was revealed this year for, by Colin Farrell is that he had an affair with Angelina, and then my favorite one is that he had an affair with Elizabeth Taylor. No like way, old Elizabeth Taylor. No way. Way. <laughs> look it up. All right, I'll look it up. But you know, at this point, I don't think anyone can doubt that he's a very good actor, and I I, I think like this is probably. Or is, are they going to give it to Brendan Fraser as a like symbolic, like, you're back, you know? I hate when they do that. I hate when it's a symbolic win. Yeah, but I think they're like, you got the uh, you got the uh, standing ovation at Cannes or wherever. That's good enough for you. 
Austin Butler, Elvis. I don't know. I don't think that movie is like serious enough for him to. I win. love that movie. I saw it like five times. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. He's like I'm a young an guy, Austin right? Butler fan. They're probably like, hey, you're a young guy. You'll get another shot. Um, yeah, it's too soon for him. Bill mm-hmm. Nye. I don't even know this movie. Most and... people do not win on the uh, unless you're like, if you're white, you cannot win on your first try. <laughs> they'll give it to Lupita and they'll give it to that Anita chick from West Side Story last year. But they will not give it to a white person on the first try. Oh, I guess then Paul Mescal is out of the running. I saw After Sun. I, 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 that was a very boring movie. I did not like that movie at all. That's how I, I feel like, about Decision to Leave. I thought it was boring. Oh, I, I like Decision the to Leave. The was boring. Oh. But um, I, honestly, Paul Mescal, I don't know why. what's up with this guy. Um, I saw Normal People. I thought it was not that. I mean, it was, it was all right. I read the book as well. But I don't get I don't, the hype either. We'll see. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to win um, this movie. All right, I th- so Best Supporting. Short uh, Round is going to win Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, I think. He's going Let, to get let's, it. See, let's see who so the let's others do, are. Let's do Best Supporting Actress because that one's a mess. Okay, let's see. Uh, uh, let's see. All right, Best Supporting Actress. I actor. favor Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Doesn't she have like a billion Oscars already? I feel like she's won. Does she really? She's been, she's been, she's won that many times? I'm pretty sure she's a, at least has one. Wait, who did you think was gonna win? I like Michelle. I, I didn't. I don't know who's gonna win. Wait, wait. She's not even nominated. Wait, what is she nominated for? Best actress? Uh, or is she best supporting? I, I'm looking at best supporting. Angela Bassett. But she didn't get. Okay, let me look it up. Let me look it up also. I can't believe she's not nominated. I thought for sure she'd be nominated for the Fablemans, but I could be wrong. It's Angela Bassett, Carrie Condon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Stephanie Sue, and Hong Chow. Oh, Carrie Condon then for Banshees. Okay. I don't like the others. <laughs> I, like I, I'm very against giving anyone an award for starring in any MCU movie, so no way. And then the two that are nominated for Everything Everywhere All at Once, no way. And then yeah, I, I, think, I didn't like The Whale, so. I think Jamie Lee Curtis is going to win just because it's going to... Uh, I, I think it's going to be a big night for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And she's definitely been... One of the most maybe vocal I shouldn't supporters. watch the Oscars this year because I'll just get, <laughs> You're get mad. too mad. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should just skip it. Uh, you know. I mean, did you hear about the extra security they're gonna have to prevent another another Will Smith, slap? Rock, which is <laughs> stupid. That's exactly what you want to happen. It's the only thing that made the show interesting in the last like ten years. So I don't know. They should be secretly encouraging. They should be like spiking everyone's drink with extra hard liquor trying to get them into drunken brawls <laughs> to start tweeting some shit to get some get them all yeah. riled up <laughs> all right. oh no, I, I think the juiciest one is gonna be best actress because there's so many um best like, actress you heard about the, why are there only four that seems there's odd. not five? Oh wait there's five no michelle williams is nominated for best actress oh that's where they put her in yeah. okay well obviously kate blanchett for me right even but though you i think know, that they're, i think it's gonna go to michelle yo it's yeah, gonna I mean, really really irritate me yeah, me it too. Majorly irritate me. <laughs> Best picture you know, is already going to irritate me. Yeah, you know the controversy about Andrea Riseborough, right? Yeah, but that kind of like came and went. Like no one talks about it anymore. Right, but I, I think that's especially why this category is so funny because you know, like, I mean, the Oscars are obviously more meant to appeal to women than men. Um, but it, it, like, even disregarding that, this this category well, has brought it out is a lot the gay of gay Super Bowl. <laughs> Well, uh, straight women and gay men's Super Bowl, I guess. Um, but there's so many, like, like uh, um, Andrew Riseborough, a lot of complaints um, were about, oh, this is just like white women um, 
basically like having flashbacks, I guess, when a white girl bullied them in middle school. Because like the whole controversy, I'm sure you know, was that she got her famous friends, like famous white women friends, like Jennifer Aniston, I think was one of them. I think Scarlett Johansson was another. I'm not sure. But they all tweeted like, oh, you got to see Andrea Riseborough in this movie, which nobody saw. Is a what tiny movie, movie is it? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, whatever, whatever it was. <laughs> okay, whatever it was. Not important. Remember when everybody thought that um, Mia Goth was going to get an Oscar nomination? For oh, to Pearl? Leslie. She was so good in that. I, I love she's Pearl. A good I love Pearl. I would have loved to see her get a nomination. She was incredibly good in that. That movie is also all her. She'll have yeah. her. She'll have her turn soon. All right. It's a little um, too soon for her. She was quite young, yeah. Um, but anyway, so there was that controversy. Like, if, you, if you didn't know her and you only listened to her, <laughs> you'd think oh, she's yeah, like so, 11 years old. There was a viral viral clip of her. I uh, saw that. And then, yeah, and then there was apparently also a clip, a totally unrelated, but it was somewhere in, in England, you know, where they have like very funny accents. So there's like bratty kid. I can't even tell if it's a girl or boy where they have this drink called like, caribbean iced tea punch or something and it's like this Ew. little kid with, with the foulest mouth this trashy this trick and somebody like tweeted like um uh, mia goth reviewing like caribbean punch or something. it was really funny uh but anyway there's so much drama with each uh nominee except for michelle williams credit to her she's just you know pure professional minding her own business just doing great work so andrea riseborough uh, Karen part one, Kate Blanchett, Karen part two, because I think she said something about, I think when she was in Carol, a movie I haven't seen, but, uh, Oh, it's with, the, um, what's it? Mara, Mara, Kate Mara, Rooney? or is it Mara Rooney? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's Mara Rooney, Rooney. Mara, Rooney Mara. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Like last name, first name, first name, last name, whatever. Isn't Eddie Redmayne also in that movie? Or am I, no, that's the Danish girl. That's, that's totally different. No, Carol's the lesbian movie. Right, right. And the Danish girl is about uh, like a transvestite, right? Where Eddie Redmayne plays like a man trying to be a woman or something. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Kate Blanchett, I think, said something about in Carol where she said, you know, I know I'm a lesbian, but maybe like I'm the best for this role. And some people thought that was wrong of her to say. So she's already got a little bit of like resentment building up against her. But a lot of people have... um like a whole like identity politics crowd have latched onto Michelle Yeoh as as like the champion of you know women of color striking back against the evil white woman uh, by Kate Blanchett, which is totally unfair to Michelle Yeoh because everything I've seen these award shows, all these women are very supportive of each other. But you know how like the the losers on on social media all project their unresolved uh, middle school drama onto these uh, other people. Christ. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, Anna de Armas, who was in blonde, which I haven't seen, but that got a lot of attacks in, um, on social media. I haven't That's seen the, either. I don't want to yeah. watch it. I'll probably, yeah. I'll probably never get to it. Honestly. Yeah. There's a yeah, lot of that, other movies I want to watch. Right. And, and that's, that's the Marilyn Monroe movie, uh, that got accused of being too like sexually graphic, a lot of nudity and stuff like that. And I also, don't think it helps that Anna Darmas is also like very attractive and they were probably like, oh, she just, she's just there because she's hot and she was in this. Yeah, no pick- shit. So was Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> no, and then and she's in this pick me movie directed by a man where <laughs> oh he just God. has like all sorts of close ups of uh, her breasts or I, I don't know what. The Oscars what show, are just so. so not what they used to be. They will never be that again. 
It's mm. so unfair. Yeah, and then uh, I think both both of I think best picture will be unfortunately everything everywhere all at once. But in a perfect for- world, it would go to Tar or Banshees of Inisherin or The Fablemans. Yeah, but fortunately, like the Oscars don't matter anymore. Like, does anyone care that Coda won or Nomadland won or hell? Even Parasite won, you know, it's like we forget about it very soon. No, it's so. the winners the winners don't matter as much as the nominees anymore. Like being nominated is still an honor, I think, but if you win in this climate, it's kind of mm-hmm. just like especially best picture. Yeah. It's just not the so, same. But being yeah. nominated, I think, still holds a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I'm not gonna the nominees are often better than the winners. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's been true for for quite a while. Yeah, so and like when it comes out, when, when the nominees get announced, you know, a, a lot of people, it does. A lot of people will watch a movie just because it's nominated. So a lot of little movies that normally wouldn't get that much attention, they mm-hmm. finally get attention and people will see it. And you know, yeah, I care about filmmaking. I care about films. Right. I will not do this for the Emmys. Like. I avoid all TV series. <laughs> I won't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm not obviously not going to watch the Oscars. I haven't watched the Oscars in at least ten years. I definitely will be staying off social media because I, I predict a very, as you know, you also predicted, very irritating night of. We're blocked by a lot of Asian blue checks, though. So. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll like the day after I'll go um, into incognito mode and just see what they said. Because uh, a lot of these people, they were like, you know, chastising Asian Americans for caring too much about media rep uh, in the last couple of years. When I think they, with movies that they weren't particularly, they didn't feel like it was their crowd that was. Which uh, movies getting, were they concerned about? Mostly Shang Chi, I think. I don't know what else. Like even Crazy Rich Asians, they at first were excited about, but I, I think. You know, Crazy Rich Asians is ultimately a movie about it's not how. Enough. Well, that's their excuse. I think what they were really upset about is that movie that says, "Yeah, you should go back to Asia," <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't like that. Whereas Everything Everywhere All At Once is a very uh, second ge- pro second generation Asian American movie saying, "Yeah, you should stay here," and your immigrant parents were wrong. They, they should say sorry. Then? Well, they loved it, but also it's like it, they don't fully understand it because. They don't live in Korea. I don't fully understand it either, but it, it's kind of it, it's it's in a safe spot because it doesn't comment anything on Asian Americans. Mm. So they liked it because it's Asians in it, but Asian Amer- it, it had nothing to do with Asian Americans. And um, I'm trying to think, like the last couple of years, what's been big for Asian Americans? I mean, there hasn't been anything particularly big. There's been like things here and there, um, but I think the last. Asian American uh, media rep thing was Shang Chi, and they were very sour about that. Uh, but now there's a, there is now back like 2017, 2018. Now media rep uh, suddenly matters. We're <laughs> so behind. All right. Okay. Uh, you, you have anything else you wanna you wanna say before we close out this episode? Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Good chatting with you. Um. I mean, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe Kate Blanchett and Tar will win, or maybe Banshees will win. Uh, but I, I severely doubt, doubt it. it. So everyone brace doubt yourselves. It. Yeah, yeah. Cringe, <laughs> right. cringe is coming. Cringe is Hope com- the movie is about to win Best Picture. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.